tire goes flat and we're pulled over on the side of the road, he is good. When we drop that full plate of food and it breaks on the ground and what we were expecting to eat goes flying across the floor, he's still good. When that child of ours is going crazy and showing just the true nature of the sin in the flesh with bad attitude and the strong heart that makes you wonder if they'll ever know Jesus, he is good. When we discover cancer in our body and we wonder how many more days do I have left, he is good. When we go to sleep at night and we can't sleep because we are filled with the anxiousness of life and we're praying and asking God to give us peace so we can fall asleep and the thought that I have only so much time before I have to wake up and start a new day and I'm not going to have the strength because I'm not going to sleep I need and anxiety begins to build. He's good. He's good. And when it seems like the world is falling apart, evil seems to be winning and darkness is closing in and holding on to us. He is good. And we believe that because he's never going to let us down, is he, church? He's never going to let you down. There's no valley you can go to, no mountain you can go to where his grace and his mercy is not there where his power isn't there, where he is not going to be with you. Give him, his, give him your rap sheet of all the sins of where you have let him down, and he'll say, yeah, I know. That's why you need me to never forsake you. Even when you are faithless, I remain faithful because you need me, and I will be with you wherever you go. You're going to have to try harder than that to remove my love from you. And it is that thought, church, that always brings us back and resets us into a place of gratitude and love for the God who has made us and the God who is reaching out and saving us. He is good. He's good. Father, I thank you for your goodness, a goodness that we can't comprehend. We don't see it in our own hearts. We don't see the level of it and the limitless of it on earth, but we experience it through your word and through the experience of your love. God, thank you for holding on to us. I pray that for all of us who are in varying degrees of confusion, varying degrees of the darkness holding on to us, varying degrees of our heart and the things that we feel in the body that are troublesome, thank you that you're with us. I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we open your word. We believe you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and it is life. We need it. So open our hearts and minds and give us ears ready to hear and let us see greater things this morning. God, take us to the summit. Help us to be satisfied with things that are above and help us not to settle for things here on earth. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, man, it is so good to be with brothers and sisters. My heart has been lifted this morning. I'm going to confess I came in with a heavy heart this morning. Um, can't even really explain why, just my own anxiety through the week, own pressure of being up here and speaking and many different things going through my head. And as I'm sitting there 
And we started singing the song, Yes, Our Will, and beginning to well up with tears. And as I'm hearing my brothers and sisters be encouraged and lifting their voices up, it was like God was using you to give me the strength I desperately needed for this morning. And I know this, I know if I get that way and I feel that way and life weighs heavy on me, some of you here are probably feeling that way as well. I want you to know God loves you. God loves you and he's with you. He truly is with you wherever you go. And we need each other. And God is going to take moments like this to give us a little glimpse of glory and heaven, to sing together, to open his word and to be refreshed. We need it. Here's something that's encouraging. You don't have to go away from a Sunday morning when you're with your brothers and sisters and when you hear the word and remember everything you've said. You just have to let God work in the moment and he will change you from the inside out as you hear and you get a little bit and grow and grow and grow more and more. The effects of God's work on your life and the encouragement on your heart takes place over a period of time and it's not dependent on you remembering everything and capturing everything in your limited ability to contain every single thing. So let's listen and be in the moment and listen to the word of God this morning. Let him change our heart. And as we're going to see this morning, let him change our mouth. This is a big one. This is one that is going to include all of us. Every sermon always includes all of us. But this one, this one particularly should cause us all to somberly listen and be like, you know what? Yeah, I don't have that quite figured out yet. And I, I need I need God. So we've been talking about real faith. We've been in the book of James. We've been showing what real faith looks like. James has been showing us the heart of the believer who truly believes in Jesus. And he's, he's been showing a contrast of things. He's been showing this good works, this, these responses to the trials of life, this response to one another, how we treat the lowly and the rich, all of these things, how we deal with temptation. Last week, as we saw how we deal with, uh, oh, let me get rid of me, heard James, I'm not in James real quick. Last week, as we saw how we deal with faith without works, it's dead. This big theme of there should be something in the life of a believer, someone who actually believes that there should be evidence of it. And it's like as he's thinking about real faith, he begins in chapter three and he's going to talk about our mouths and the evidence of real faith that will come out of our mouths and the use of our tongue. And we're going to talk about taming the tongue this morning. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to open up James chapter 3. We're going to read through the first 12 verses, and we're going to talk about it for a little bit. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What's the immediate reaction to the reading of the text? It's exactly what James is wanting us to feel, the seriousness and the severity of how we use our tongue, our words, our speech, our mouth. And every single one of us should be cut to the heart as we reflect on the times of our life where our mouth has been out of control, and it seems like more times than not. The immediate response is to see that James is trying to help us see just how crucial and important and how potentially dangerous our tongue can be. So what does this have to do with real faith? He's going to culminate it and bring it forth at the end. And what we're going to see is someone who has been redeemed, who has real faith. You're going to see this process, I'm going to say this, process of maturity take place as their tongue is tamed over time. So here's what I want us to look at. I want us to first see this. It's going to be a big number, eight. I have eight reasons from the passage that our tongues desperately need redemption. Redemption comes by what? Redemption, is it something you work for? Is it something, do you work for redemption? It's like, you know, I need to be redeemed. I need to be taken out of slavery and be set free. And I'll do that by my own strength. No, and the church should all say, no, that is wrong, that is error, that is heresy. No, redemption comes by God alone. Through what? Through faith. So we're going to see that real faith, the redemption that comes with real faith, our tongues desperately need it. And it's only by the gospel changing us that's going to bring a change within our tongue that's out of control. So eight reasons, we're going to go through them really quick so we just kind of get the point, get the main point. Eight reasons our tongues desperately need redemption. The first one is this. It goes right off the bat. Our tongues are going to bring judgment upon us. He says this. He says, not many of you should become teachers, implying that there were, brother, a lot of people within the church who were, who were fighting and vying to be teachers. So he says, slow your roll. Slow down. Not many of you should just jump to become teachers, to stand up, take God's word, and to teach it using your mouth, to teach it. And he says this, my brothers. Look who he's talking to. He's talking very gently and tenderly to them. He's, he's admit, you're, we're brothers, brothers and sisters. I'm talking to Christians here, the assuming Christians. He says, for you know that we, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I bet at this moment you guys are all saying, I'm glad he's up there and not me. I'm telling you, this verse haunts me, as it should every teacher. The reality is we are going to stand before God in judgment. And though sin equally causes us all to equally break the law of God and equally come under the condemnation that sin rightfully deserves, 
The Bible does teach, though, varying degrees of judgment. What that looks like, how that looks like, what that's going to be, I don't fully know. We don't have the full picture, but what we do know, according especially to this, is that those who get up and use their mouth to teach, and they say, this is what God says. God's watching. He's listening. And he's taking note. And it's going to be brought up. I'm going to stand before God and God's going to bring before me the things that I taught that I, as I represented him. And it's potentially going to bring greater, a greater strictness, a greater tightness of judgment upon me. This is in no way meant to discourage someone from stepping into the calling of teaching. But it is, it is appropriately calling all teachers to stop and to think. You know, I'm about to use my mouth and I'm about to represent God not many of us should become teachers. But if you look through the scripture, you'll see the heart of God where he wants everyone to, to teach the word. He, all that you would all, we would all be prophets in the Old Testament. There's a beautiful thing to be able to take God's word and teach it. Such a good thing, but it's just a serious thing. This is the nature of it. So one of the reasons we need to be like, man, my tongue needs special attention. It needs this redemption is because we are going to be judged by what we say. The scripture says that it is by what you say you will be judged. We are going to be held accountable for every idle word. I can't even comprehend that. Words that I've said yesterday that I've forgotten, God remembers them all. And he remembers every single word, even the small ones and the idle ones of the hundreds of billions of people who will inevitably have come on planet Earth over the time of God's history. It's a very sobering serious thing, our tongue, our words, our mouth will bring judgment. And so when it comes to teaching, it's a serious thing. Not many should be, just be jumping up and just throwing anyone and everyone up just because you want to teach. It needs to come with a time of testing and proving and accountability from those who are listening. I want to share something with you. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Anytime you hear one of us get up here and we speak the word, my hope, our hope, is that you would be checking these things. You would be reading them. If you hear something that you're unsure of, you say, it doesn't sound right, you would search the scriptures on your own and you would find the truth. You would either be like, oh, he is right. Or you would say, you know what? He is wrong. And you come to one of us and you say, hey, listen, I, I see you said this, but the word says this. Nothing would thrill my heart more than to know that what I'm being said is being held accountable by the people I love and I'm called to minister to. So do not be threatened if you hear me say something. Give me the opportunity to learn from it. And maybe even in the moment you learn, hey, you know what? I thought you were wrong, but then you explained to me that I wasn't. Like this is, this is the nobility that comes from the church. Like the Thessalonians, the, those at Thessalonica or Berea who were very, very noble, who searched the scriptures daily to see if the things being taught were actually true. So in other words, I'm saying don't just take your pastor's word from it. Don't live in a state of complete skepticism, but always test what you hear through your own study of the word. And then pray for your teachers, knowing that we have a great responsibility. So right off the bat, one of the reasons our tongue needs redemption is because we're going to be judged by it. We're absolutely going to be judged by it. And then it says this, verse 2. It reveals this, the second reason our tongues desperately need redemption is because it reveals our maturity level. It reveals our maturity level. In verse two, he says, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. 
Oh, right off the bat, thank you, James. I kind of needed after after all of this black and white, just straight to it, this like perfect Christian you're painting. You you kind of get you kind of throw me a ball in a little bit and let me know like, hey, you're even admitting that we all stumble in many ways. You see the reality and the relief there. Okay, James isn't crazy. He's being realistic. We all stumble in many ways. And then he says this, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he says this, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Hmm. What does he mean by that? He's saying if you can find someone who's able to control their mouth, able to in all circumstances to have self-control and mastery over their mouth, he's saying you have found a perfect person. James has used this word perfect again before chapter one, trials, they produce steadfastness and endurance. And when you let it have its perfect work, what happens? You become complete, perfect, lacking nothing. We already know that James is not using that word to be mean like perfect, just like Jesus, no problems, no sin, no more stumbling anymore. It's the word that needs to make you think of maturity, spiritual maturity, growing into the person that God is wanting you to be this side of earth, like Jesus, unto Jesus, but understanding that you're still in a body of death and flesh, they're still gonna be stumbling. But you find someone who's able to control their mouth, you can know, wow, if they can do that, they're probably able to control the rest of their body. Because James is showing that the tongue is out of control. And it's almost a barometer to show the maturity level of the person you're talking to. So search your own life. You have a reputation. Are you known as someone who just like can't control their tongue? Say the first thing that comes to your mind. Always out of control, getting a little, uh, you, you, kind of, you, you kind of get the, uh, you get people around you who are constantly giving you kind of little nuggets of like, hey, you know, you might want to be careful there, this, 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 and you get a reputation of someone who can't, just, just can't control their tongue. That might be a sign, is a sign of a maturity level, a self-control that you're lacking. And it probably means the rest of your body is probably not in control either. Our tongues desperately need redemption. We're gonna be judged by it. And this, it's also revealing our maturity level, but look at this, verses three through five. It has incredible power. The tongue has incredible power. So he says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They also so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Just like a, a bridle in, in the, the mouth of a horse that lays on the tongue. You control, the, the picture is you can control the tongue, the mouth, you can control that animal, that beast that's hundreds of pounds that could stomp you into the ground with that little thing. You can control it wherever you want it to go. Oh, it's a beautiful picture, right? Same thing with ships, these huge, massive ships, right? You could sit there and you could get people to push on all day long and they would bar they'd barely start to move. But as they're moving, you have a small little rudder underneath it that turns and it turns the whole thing wherever it wants to go. He's like, the tongue is the same, same way. It might be small, but man, it is far more powerful than we realize. The mouth is guiding the body where it goes. It is the guide. It is making us go where it wants us to go. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It has incredible power. And then what he's going to do here in the next few verses, he's going he's to expound upon that power. So look at verses 5 and 6. He's going to show this next reason our tongues need redemption. Because our tongue, it is a weapon of mass destruction. It's a weapon of mass destruction. We have a nuclear bomb between our cheeks. He says this, starting in verse 5. Down into verse 6, he says, yes, it's great, it's small, it's huge, it does, it boasts great things. But he says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You look at a big forest fire, what can they always trace it back to? Maybe a cigarette that's thrown out or some little fire, a little spark even that gets out, gets on some dry tinder, and look how it sets the whole forest ablaze. I mean, you think about some of the wildfires in California, how, I mean, miles and miles and miles of just destruction James is wanting us to think of these things, to have a picture and the right understanding and viewpoint of the potential power, to see our tongue as a weapon of mass destruction. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And that, that's a powerful thing because he's not just saying it's powerful. He's saying it is indicative. It is a world of unrighteousness. It's not just neutral. For everyone on the planet Earth, our tongue is this thing that is a weapon of mass destruction and it is being used for evil, even if we don't know it. A world of unrighteousness. He says, as the tongue, it's set among our members. It's just like, you know, you got hands, you got feet, you got fingers, you got eyes. No, it's set among the members. But look what it does. Set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell set among the members, and it stains the whole body. It's like, it's like, you know, you get that one roommate, right? That one roommate who just never cleans up after themselves, leaves a mess everywhere they go, and it's like everyone else in the house is doing their part, but you have this one, this one cat here who won't do it. They need it. It stands out like a sore thumb. It's like, it's like taking an ink pen and you spill ink on a white shirt. It just stands out. It stains the whole body. Set among the members, but it's not one of these things is not like the other, right? The tongue is different, very powerful. It is a weapon of mass destruction. I thought about this. Imagine carrying a bomb around, literally a nuclear bomb, like just under your arm, like walking in to gatherings and parties with this nuclear bomb, right? Right? And you, you're kind of like, hey guys, how's it going? And you're like, and everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. How's it going, guys? You know, just kind of flipping with it. Hey, hey, Jimmy, can you hold this? Just throwing it around. You know, that's a little crazy. That's, that's crazy. What's, what's a more realistic thing that we actually experience? I mean, you think about a gun. Imagine being around someone who, like, walks around with a gun, and they just wave it everywhere as they're talking. Just, People matrixing, you know, Neo just dodging it like crazy. Just, do, 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 do. That's what we're like with our tongue. If we're not paying attention, we're waving a gun around. It's a weapon of mass destruction. Its potential to destroy is astronomical. And James is wanting us to think about our tongue this way. It is extremely powerful and extremely destructive. And it is going to set our entire life on fire. But look at this next reason it desperately needs redemption. Redemption. 
Not only is it a weapon of mass destruction, but look who or what is wielding it. It is wielded by hell. I mean, think about that statement. Yes, he's already talked about how powerful it is and, and, and how dangerous it is. And then he says this, and it is set on fire by hell. And what are we supposed to think about when we hear something like that? It's, these are one of these moments where Scripture's opening our eyes to things that we have never realized. We look back through a life of however many years you've lived on planet Earth, and maybe for the first time you come to a passage like this, and you're given this awareness, and your eyes are being opened to the trail of destruction potentially your mouth has left. And it's supposed to create within us this visceral, just like horrifying response. Like it's supposed to make us like, I don't ever want to talk again. This is why James said earlier in the book, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Someone who's been redeemed, who has faith and been redeemed, they begin to understand the potential destruction their mouth can bring and probably already has brought. Every single one of us, no one's excluded, we can all look back and think about how our mouth has hurt people and got us in trouble and brought destruction and a fiery mess to our entire life. I mean, so what are some of the things we're talking about? What are the, some of the things, why in the world would hell, the, the, the powers of darkness, Satan, want to use this as a weapon? Out of all the things it could use, why, would it, why does it man love to use our mouth and wield it like a great sword, like Excalibur? I mean, think about all the things that it can do. It can gossip. It can complain. It can be overcritical. It can judge. It can curse. It can scream. It can, with its inflection, display every single emotion and attitude of life. It can demean. It can exalt, become arrogant. It can show pride. Every single thing that we experience in life can be seen through the power of the tongue. And the devil, the powers of hell, the imps and demons of hell, whatever's going on in the unseen realm we do not see, love nothing more than to use our tongue for the forces of darkness. And to love, 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 to take that small fire, throw it out into some dry tinder, and set the forest ablaze. This is, the, what, this is what James is wanting us to think about and feel in the moment. As we're like, oh, step back, close our mouth, and start thinking about how we've used it. And it's so deceptive because we don't use it trying to set things on fire. It is wielded by hell. It's not wielded by us for the purpose of hell. Hell's using it, and it uses it and influences it to be used through the best of intentions sometimes. Or through deception, thinking that it's okay. Through excuses. Or just because it feels good. There's a verse in Proverbs. It talks about gossip. Gossip is like dainty morsels or choice morsels that go down into the inward parts. What is the proverb trying to help us understand about gossip? Man, gossip tastes so good. It's like... It's nighttime. I've told myself all day, all day long, I'm not going to eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch at 10 o'clock at night. I'm not going to do it. 
just not. I'm not. I, I looked at it. I'm like, hey, 10 o'clock's coming. I got you, buddy. You're not going to control me. You just sitting there right there on that shelf. I'm not going to waste all that 40 minutes of jump roping I did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay true and I'm going to be self-controlled. 10 o'clock comes around. What am I doing? Oh, so good. This is so good, man. Why did I ever leave you or say anything bad about you? Gossip is the same way. Man, it feels so good, right? And you get in the moments where the conversation about that person's coming up and then you have something to say about them and man, you just want to throw it in there, right? And you, you throw it, it feels good. It goes down in the inward parts and like you don't forget it. It's there ready, but it also goes into the inward parts and it causes a deadly blow to the heart because it's not just them we're hurting. We're destroying our hearts and we're setting ourselves up for judgment. Man, the tongue is out of control. It's a weapon of mass destruction and it's wielded by hell and it'll gladly be wielded if we're not doing something about it. But here's the thing. We can't do anything about it. Look at verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind. But 8 says this, But no human being can tame the tongue. What a statement. He basically set it up to help us to see how bad and dangerous this is. And maybe in this moment we're thinking, all right, I'm going to deal with this once and for all. I'm ready, James. You don't have to say any more. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make sure that this is the moment, this is the time that my tongue is under control for the rest of my life. And he goes, boom, no human being can tame the tongue. Oh, what is going on here? The next reason that our tongue desperately needs redemption is because it has mastery over all human effort. No human being can tame the tongue. What's the disposition that should put us in when we realize that there is nothing I can do in my own strength to make sure that this becomes what it needs to be? It should cause us to fall on our knees and say, God, I need you to supply what I can't. That is the gospel. I am unable to save myself. I am unable to free myself. I am unable to have my sins forgiven on my own. I am unable to just work for it. I do not have the ability residing within this body to do what it is you want me to do to fulfill my purpose. I am a lost sinner. And Romans tells us that our mouth it's like a viper. It's full of poison. I'm going to see that in the next verse too. No one does good, no, not one. And we all fall into the category of not being able to tame the tongue and having a world of unrighteousness, a fire that has been setting our whole life on fire. No human being can tame the tongue. Okay, God, you've got to work. This is the heart. This is the disposition. This is where we need to be right now. Every single one of us, understanding the weight and the power of our tongue, probably thinking through even things that we've said this week, feeling the overwhelming guilt, regret, remorse. We shouldn't stay there. It should lead us to turn our eyes to the summit, look at God and say, okay, God, I need you. That's the heart. That's the position that God wants. That's the position we need when we come across something that's so deadly yet we have no ability over it. No human being can tame the tongue. And then he says this in verse 8. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The next reason our tongues desperately need 
redemption is because of this. And this is the way I want us to think about this one. When he says restless evil full of deadly poison, it has limitless zeal and resources for evil. Limitless zeal, restless evil, and resources full of deadly poison for evil. Meaning this, that your tongue, that's what I'm saying, it's not neutral. Your tongue has within it, your mouth has this constant, never ending, never goes to sleep, never gives you a day off, restlessness for evil. And guess what? It's never gonna run out of its ability and it's poison. It's so, it's like a self-producing factory. It's able to constantly produce it. I got a picture on the screen I want you to see. Sorry, forgive me if you're afraid of snakes, but there it is, I'm so sorry. This particular snake, I looked it up, it's called the, the saw-scaled viper. I have never heard of this snake. It's the most interesting little snake I've ever seen. It doesn't, it, it's able to move its scales across itself and create the sound that almost sounds like a rattlesnake. But you know what I found out about this snake? It is, it is responsible for more deaths every year than every other poisonous snake combined. I couldn't believe it. And I, look, I had to look it up twice. 80 to 100,000 people a year are killed by this little guy right here. And do you know why? Because it is very zealous to strike. It's one of those snakes that like gives like no warning strikes and then it keeps striking. And so it keeps releasing venom, venom, venom into the victim. But here's also what I found out. It's venom isn't as lethal as other ones. So it doesn't even need to have a, a deadly venom. It's just the, the, the zeal and the amount at which it strikes. And then people are killed constantly by it. Here's what's interesting. Our tongue is even worse than this. Our tongue is as zealous like this, but our tongue has the resources and the power behind it that not even this little guy has. So now take it back to our tongue. A limitless zeal for striking and the, ability, the resources and the potency to destroy. A restless evil full of deadly poison. Let me, let me take us back through these real quick. Eight reasons our tongues desperately need for redemption. They're going to bring it's going to bring judgment upon us. It reveals our maturity level. It has incredible power. It is a weapon of mass destruction. It is wielded by hell. It has mastery over all human effort. And it has a limitless zeal and resources for evil. And this final, final one. It is able to defy God's purposes with ease. It's an anomaly. It's almost like able to defy the laws of physics on a spiritual sense. Look what he says here in verse nine. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. We've come here today and we have lifted our voices to God and we've praised him and it's been a beautiful thing. And the thing that we've heard is our voices using our mouth and our tongue to bless our Lord and Father. But look what he says here. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Referring all the way back to the book of Genesis where God reveals that he has made man in his image, the special identity that resides only in humans as we bear the image of God. And guess what? That is something that is true about us regardless if we're saved or not saved, sinning or not sinning. Every human life is of utmost importance 
that anything that you say or do to a human life, regardless of how small or old, is equivalent to doing that to God or saying that to God. That's why God is so quick to bring justice and judge the hurts and the mistreatment and the abuse of his people that he's created, whether lost or saved. God sees the injustice and the abuse and the mockery and the words that are used to slander and gossip other people who we can see that are made in the likeness of God. We're challenged with that by scripture. We say we love God whom we, have, we do not see, but we don't show evidence of loving our brothers and sisters who we can see. And the Bible says those things that doesn't match. If you say you love God, if you truly love God, you're gonna love those around you. What do I mean by it defies God's purposes with ease? What do you think God created our tongue for? To be a restless evil? To curse? To be a weapon of mass destruction? No, the purpose of our whole life and being in all of earth is to bring glory to God and for our lives and for our words and our thoughts and our actions, all of that to lift high the name of Jesus in worship and to edify and build those around us. And so when our tongue begins to defy that purpose, and guess what, it does it with ease and it does it all the time. He's gonna help us understand this a little bit better. He says this in verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursings. And he says, my brothers, again, a gentle response. Listen, I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. He says this, these things ought not to be so. And he says this, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Look at what it says here, my brothers. I'm going to put it up on the screen. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So he says everything that he has said, and he comes right in the middle of this illustration we're going to look at, and he says these things shouldn't be. In looking at the tongue and what it's able to do, how it can defy what it was meant for so easily, James now is bringing it home and he's saying, man, as those who carry the name of Jesus, who have real faith, or at least use their words to say they have real faith, you would expect to see the redemption of the tongue being restored to its original design and purpose. And the cursing and the mockery and the slander and the bitterness and the jealousy and all of that would begin to be removed. Just like partiality, no room for favoritism because you can't hold both. The same with the tongue. If, we're spending, if, we're, if our tongue shows evidence of blessing the Lord, but it also shows evidence of constantly cursing those around us, which one is more indicative of our heart? Because Jesus says... It is your mouth. It is your mouth that will reveal what's inside of you. And by your mouth and what comes out of you, not what goes in you, but what comes out of you is what will defy, defile you. So our mouth is a great, great test of faith. Now again, remember, James is not saying have a perfect mouth in order to be a Christian. 
But what he is challenging with is like, man, if you say you're a Christian, if your mouth is saying you have real faith, these things should not be so. And look what he uses as an illustration. He's going to use two illustrations that are kind of saying the same thing, but focusing on two different things. The first one is this. In verse 10, he says, verse 11, he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Rhetorical question. Of course not. You, you can't have both. If you have this opening and you have water coming out of it, it's either salt water or it's either fresh water. It, at least in the question he's asking. That's the thought he wants them to have. So what's the point of fresh water and salt water? It's this point of usefulness. The tongue is either useful or being wasted, right? Salt water would represent what couldn't be used, but fresh water would be what you'd use to, be, to, to bathe with, to drink, to cook with. All of those things is what fresh water would have represented to people like this. And he's saying, man, your mouth is either intending to use it for its purpose to be good and to benefit the world or it's being wasted. It's like that salt water. But how can we have both coming out? So usefulness. Real faith makes the tongue useful. It brings it back to its purpose. But then he's going to talk about what's natural. And this is where he really is nailing home real faith. He then uses this illustration can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Sounds like almost like he's just being redundant, giving another illustration to make the same point. This one's a little bit different because he's saying he's more talking about what's natural now. If you're a fig tree, guess what you're, guess what you're going to bear? And he's thinking about Jesus' sermon as he's saying these things about Jesus saying, can a bad tree bear good fruit or a good tree bear bad fruit? Jesus makes the point that our identity needs to change. We have to be changed if we want our fruit to change. The fruit reveals what's inside. And so James is saying, what's natural for a fig tree is to bear figs, not olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, a grapevine produces grapes. So what's natural for a Christian? What's natural for someone who has real faith? That's the challenge. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Do you see the culmination? Do you see real faith being exalted in the book of James to show us this is what it looks like? If we say we love God, if we say we have faith, if we say then we should see something that's natural for someone who has life-changing, redemptive faith. And guess what? That redemption that has set you free from sin is going to start working on your mouth. So one of the great, most immediate evidences right now isn't that you have a perfect mouth. I do not expect, James does not expect for your mouth to be totally, completely redeemed, but it expects it to be in the sanctification, the maturing process. The heart of us listening is like, man, I care about this. And I want to make war with this. And God, I want you to use my mouth. I want it to not be a restless evil. I want it to be a restless world of righteousness that's helping others and blessing you and helping others and not tearing other people down. And it's so easy for that to happen. What must we do? What can we do? Where do we go from here? Well, I think it starts with confession. I think we need to start living our life 
in a state of confession over our mouth. Sometimes that's all we can do is like, man, I said that, it came out. At least recognize it, confess it to the Lord. Corey quoted from Isaiah when King Uzziah died and Isaiah got the vision of the Lord with his robe filling the temple. Do you know what Isaiah's response was in the presence of God? Out of all the things he could say, the first thing that came from his mouth was this. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So immediate, so immediate the feeling of judgment for what has been said and how the mouth is being used in the, in the face of standing before God. But do you know what the beautiful picture of Isaiah 6 is, is immediately when he confesses that, says an angel grabbed a coal from the altar and come and placed it on his lips signifying purification. We need to start living our life in a state of confession with our mouth, not making excuses for it, but confessing it quickly when we are, the Spirit reminds us and makes us aware of like, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. So that's dealing with it when it's in the past. What about when it's welling up and we want to say it? I want to leave us with this. I want to leave us with some filters we should take with us that real faith will take with it, real faith can take with it, and will remember, and it's, it's the, some of the filters that the Spirit will use to ensure that our mouth begins to grow and isn't used as a restless evil. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Here's the, the four things I want you to see. The first one is this. Take these filters with you. Before you speak, ask yourself this. Is what I'm about to say true? Right? Because truth will filter out lies and opinions, and opinions especially when they're not necessary. A lot of times we want to use our words to fight for our opinions. But the person who's controlled will, 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 will stop and be a little slow. Truth. How about this? Pure. Is what I'm going to say going to be appropriate or is it going to be more worldly? Is it going to be, more, is it, is it going to be uh, inappropriate per se? How about this? This is a big one. Edification, the filter of edification, meaning what I want to come out of my mouth, I want it to build others around me. Because the goal of the church, 1 Corinthians 12, is to edify one another. That's why we've been given gifts, is to edify, which means to build up. I want to see you grow. I want to see you be built up. I want to see you become closer to Jesus. I want to see people get closer to Jesus, not go further away from them. I want to see people built. Well, there are our words, which are powerful. I mean, think about the words of encouragement and mercy and affirmation and love that have come to your life at the right time. Powerful words that can help build people and bring them closer to Jesus. I want my words to edify people, not tear them down. And then this, finally this, humility. Are my words, is what I'm about to say gonna be filtered through humility, meaning I am more interested in honoring God and others above myself. This is what's biblical. This is what's counter-worldly. This is what will begin to change our mouth. And here's something practical I want you to be able to take with you and start training your mind to think about and wrestle over as we start thinking about from now on opening our mouth to speak. I'm going to read you a few verses, a couple verses, and then I want us to pray. Jesus when interacting with the Pharisees, he said this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God, don't let that be us. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
If anyone says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, don't hit them, don't punch them, but disagree with them. It's so untrue, so untrue. And it's not little cliches like that that are gonna help us to get over the hurtful words of people in our past. It's the gospel. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Sounds like these filters, doesn't it? Proverbs 18, 8, words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inward parts. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. 1 Peter 3, 10, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 12, 3 through 4. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And then finally this, Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. In all of this church, remember that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to save us from, but also to save us for. Saved us from the wrath of God. And once we have that salvation, we now begin to see our purpose and the reason for our salvation, which is here on planet Earth to be conformed to the image of His Son. And you better believe that involves our mouth. God, give us mouths like your Son, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that if I've most misspoken in any way, you'd bring that to my attention, that I can repent of it, confess it. You know my heart, you know our heart here together as we want to honor you with our life, with our words. I pray that you would be the change in us that we are unable to do ourselves, and we admit no human effort can tame the tongue, but you can. And if we know you and if we have real faith, all we need to do is rely on you to supply the power through the spirit we need to bring this tongue into the place of purpose that it's meant to be. Let us be salt and life on planet earth and let us be salt and light to one another in the church. God bless us with these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.